0: Welcome to the Natural Health Rising podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, Certified Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Practitioner. I'm here to deliver you weekly episodes where you will hear conversations with health experts and solo episodes about functional medicine and all things holistic health. My goal is to provide you with the knowledge and tools you need in order to help you rise to your healthiest, happiest self. In today's episode, you're gonna hear my conversation with Steve Baum, Steve has been in the health and fitness industry for 40 years. He's a Czech level three practitioner and a board certified functional diagnostic nutritionist. He's owned several boutique gyms and wellness centers and sold his last gym in 2019. Steve is currently working 100% online with clients all over the USA. He works with people who have tried everything to lose weight and improve energy with no success. And he helps these clients finally figure out how to achieve their goals and get the weight loss results that they want. He builds exercise and nutrition programs that are highly specific to the client's needs based upon lab testing. So you're gonna hear us discuss Steve's story of how he got started in the fitness industry, both of our thoughts on the metabolic typing diet, what's really holding many people back from losing weight, the various kinds of stress that our bodies endure, what kinds of exercise make you more ripped and actually shed excess weight, functional movements to incorporate into your workout routine, the correlation between inflammatory foods, leaky gut, and weight issues, traumatic events in life, and how they can impact your health. We even get into Steve's story of losing his child and the ways he overcame his loss, and so much more. So please enjoy this episode with myself and Steve. All right, Steve, so start by telling us a little bit more about your story and Let's start from like what initially drew you into this career path and what led you to what you're doing today.
1: Yeah. So gosh, I got into this when I was a little kid and, um, it started off with what people would probably call bullying today. I had a a friend of my, uh, family who was a little bit older than me. And I idolized this kid, looked up to him, hung out with him. And we went on a family float trip. And when I took my shirt off, he said, oh my God, you have tits and you're fat and it and it like I, mean, I i mean i looked at myself and i'm like what like i'd never heard anything like that but it it demoralized me because this kid was really fit and so at that moment i was embarrassed and i went home and i started working out in the basement um and bought one of those little concrete weight sets you probably don't remember those but it was like little Sears concrete weight set and i went down there and i worked out and worked out and worked out my mom and dad were like you know hey you're going to hurt yourself so fortunately for me they were able to hire a trainer. And I worked out with a trainer three days a week from the time I was 12 until probably 15. And he taught me how to eat, how to exercise. And it made a really big difference. And, and it had a huge impact on me in that um, I was just fascinated by the nutrition and how that impacted my body and the exercise. And it, and it made me want to go help other people do the same thing. So I started a supplement company because he had me using, you know, protein powders and different things like that. And my parents were like, we're going to pay for the training, but we're not going to buy all this other stuff. You need to cut grass if you want to buy that. And so I went out and I started cutting grass and realized very quickly that I didn't like to cut grass. It made me hot and itchy. So I started a supplement company and my mom got the tax ID number and all that for me. And I started selling vitamins and minerals and all that stuff to all of her friends so that I could buy my own stuff. So that's where it started. And that's the only thing I've done my entire life is is fitness and nutrition um, and never looked back. So I've been really blessed that I've been able to make a a career out of it.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, How did you get into the check portion and the FDN side of things?
1: Yeah, so when I was 16, I started a personal training business and it was interesting because I was around a bunch of other trainers in a gym setting. So I got to see what other people were doing. And at some point, you know, when I was working with my clients, let's say I was working with you and you came in for a workout and we were going to do a leg workout. And you said, Hey, Steve, my knee hurts. I can't do this exercise. It's really bothering my knee. At that point in my, in my career, I was like, okay, well, we won't do squats today. We'll go over here and do this instead. And and it got to the point with some clients where, there were literally no exercises they could do without pain, but I didn't know what to do to fix it. And so, and I saw that with the other trainers as well. And and I knew that um, you had to be able to squat or do whatever particular exercise it was that was causing pain or you couldn't function in life. Like you, you have to go to the bathroom, you have to get in and out of your car. And so that's what took me to the Czech Institute because they had a really good program that would teach you how to assess movement imbalances and muscle imbalances. And then that led me to go to a whole bunch of other different um, different people that taught me how to, to assess and correct the muscle imbalances. So that rather than saying, hey, uh, Rachel, let's not do squats today. It was, let me assess you right on the spot and figure out what's working, what muscles are firing, what muscles aren't firing properly. Let's activate them and then go try that squat again. And nine times out of 10, after I did what I learned, you're like, oh my God, I can squat and I don't have the pain anymore. So I realized very quickly that I needed to know how to assess people properly from the beginning, from the physical standpoint, to keep them in the game and to keep them functioning properly. And if I ran into something like that, I knew how to fix it and help them. And so, in that process of working at the Czech Institute with, with Paul, um, he had a whole nother path that was the holistic lifestyle path. And I got into that. And metabolic typing was part of what he was teaching. So I became a metabolic typing advisor. And then through that, I met Reed and I became an FDN back in, I think it was 2008. And the reason I did it was kind of the same thing with nutrition. When I would give people nutrition plans, I'd say half of them would get really good results. And then the other half just didn't. And I'm like, it kind of stumped me. I was like, gosh, this person's following my plan. They're, they're quote dieting, but they're not losing weight. And in fact, they're feeling worse than they were before. And I knew just like from the physical standpoint that there had to be a reason why they were having knee pain or, you know, shoulder pain or whatever it was. I also knew in the nutrition thing, there had to be something going on that I couldn't see that was causing those people to not get results and the other people were. And so that's when I learned about FDN and realized that I could run some lab tests to see what was going on under the hood, if you will, to find out why these people weren't getting the results that the other ones were. And it allowed me to correct the imbalances so that they also would get the same type of results. Uh, And it just fascinated me that that there could be so many things that could basically be roadblocks or um, or you know, your body putting the brakes on moving forward until things were resolved. So that's, that's kind of how I got into all of it. And, uh, yeah.
0: I have a few questions that came out of that. So metabolic typing, I want to talk about that for a minute. Do you still use that? Is that,
1: you know, I, I, yes and no. Um, I found that what was happening when I first got into FDN and I was using all of these tests and I was running uh, MRT, the, the, you know, food allergy, food sensitivity testing and the metabolic typing, I would get all of this information back that would, you know, be like a big binder of do this, don't do that. Mm-hmm. These are the foods you can eat and these are the ones you can't and blah, blah, blah. I would give that to my clients and I would try to educate them on what they needed to do. And they'd look at the stuff and throw it in their backseat and they wouldn't do it. And, and after running hundreds of people through these tests, I said, Hey, why aren't you following this plan? And they were like, it's too hard. I don't, it does too much information. It's too much stuff. And so I kind of went back to the basics of, all right, everybody needs certain things in their diet. And I found that there were certain inflammatory foods that most people had. And I said, let's start with really simple stuff. Let's work on breakfast first And all I want you to do is make sure you're eating a protein, a fat and a healthy carbohydrate. Here's your list. Do that. And then, of course, drink water. And I had them do that for seven days. And then once they finished that first seven days and they did it over and over again, then I'm like, all right, now let's add in a healthy snack at like 10 a.m. And it has to be, you know, the same thing, carbs, fats and proteins. And once we went through that for five weeks, I I fixed the breakfast and then we did a healthy snack and then we worked on lunch and then a healthy snack and then dinner over the course of five weeks, they'd rebuilt their entire nutrition plan and it might not be perfect for their type, but it was way better than what they were doing. And then at that point, we started to fine tune and tweak things if they needed it. Um, But with the metabolic typing, I don't know, just something in the back of my head. I was always like, how do we know that broccoli is bad for this type or the despair, or pick a food, you know, like, how do we know based on a questionnaire? Yeah. So I I like the idea of being a fast oxidizer or a slow oxidizer, you know, where one person might need more carbohydrate and one person might need more fat and protein that made sense to me. Um, So I still use that, but I don't use the metabolic typing to test for it. I just kind of start them off with a, a midline and then adjust up or down based on how they're feeling and their activity levels. Um, and then I rely more on uh, the Zoomer tests to tell me what foods they shouldn't eat. And then the rest of it's kind of it's kind of uh, free game. But one thing that I've helped that I have found that helps uh, more than anything else, it's really simple, actually, is... If I give you a list of non-inflammatory foods and I've got a whole list in in like 98% of the population, the entire list would be non-inflammatory for them. Like it's not, it's not foolproof, but for most people it works. And I'll say, all right, I want you to only eat from this list of foods for a month. And then you're going to weigh yourself every single day on the scale, not to see if you're losing weight or gaining weight, but I want to see what happens If you eat off the list, let's say you go, oh, I've only eaten these non-inflammatory foods for the last month. And then you go have bread and your weight is 140 pounds every single day, 140, 141, 139. It's kind of bouncing like this. And then you eat that bread and you get on the scale the next morning and you're four pounds heavier. Well, we know you didn't gain four pounds of fat. That's an inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. And so we can start to identify inflammatory foods based on the water retention Right. Or some other stressor. Maybe you got in a fight with your boss or your spouse or whoever, and, and you stayed on the diet, but your weight still went up. Well, that was a stress response, right? When, you're, when your stress goes up, you're going to retain water. So, that to me is a much easier way to measure. I mean, it sounds pretty, pretty simple, but it, it works. So, that's what I do. So, I don't know if that answers your question. Um, I know that a lot of FDNs use the metabolic typing, and I like Walcott and I like his stuff but no.
0: (laughs) That was perfect answer. Um, for people who are listening, who don't know what metabolic typing is, it's basically a way they categorize your body and kind of like how you're how quickly in a sense you're breaking down carbs, proteins, and fats. And then based upon that, you're told to eat certain foods. And I agree. So when I first started, I tried it with a couple clients and I was like, no, I just, I just can't do this. It's, it didn't feel, uh, right with me, same thing. And so, yeah, I do a similar thing. Like let's just do your general macros, like really simple. Cause people get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So, and then just kind of adjusting from there and seeing like, Oh, or do you feel really sluggish after a meal? Then maybe you ate too many carbohydrates or something, you know, we need to dial that back down. So I think that's a, a good starting place for sure, rather than getting yeah.
1: really yeah. detailed think, like that. I think for most people, when somebody comes to me and they want help with nutrition, I would say 99% of the time it's because they want to lose weight and they can't Something's stopping them from losing weight. And, and they've tried everything else and they've tried all these different diets. And, and the, the misconception, I think that at least the people I work with that they have is that carbohydrates are going to make them fat. And so they think if they do these keto diets or, um, paleo type diets, that they're going to be magic and that they can lose weight by doing that. And what I try to teach my clients is there is no magic diet. That's going to make fat fall off your body. It's always about calories in and calories out. Um, and if you burn more than you eat, you're going to lose weight. I mean, that's, that's the formula. However, with that being said, there are Underlying factors that will slow down your metabolic rate, so that you may not need as many calories as somebody else whose metabolism's really rocking out. Um, so I help them kind of navigate through that and to figure out if, you know, I'm sure you've heard of of a uh, uh, people that do a lot of dieting and low cal dieting that they quote damage their metabolism, right? Like it's just. And, and I don't know if damage is the right word because your body's always going to bounce back if you do what it needs. But I do believe that you can slow it down to such a slow rate that's not sustainable. Like like these, what is it? The HCG diet, I think, where people do 500 calories a day. And, and I don't know how they do it. I'm like, I eat that in one bite, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> but they do it and they lose all this weight. And so the, the biggest thing I, I, I look at with nutrition, I look at it, your body is like, a, like a, an engine, like a Ferrari. Well, some people, it could be a Ferrari or a Honda Civic, right? A Honda Civic is very fuel efficient. You can, you can give it a little bit of gas, a little bit of food, and, it, and it'll go a really long way, right? So if, if you're a Honda Civic and you eat 2,000 calories, that energy is going to take you a lot farther than somebody who is a Ferrari that that you put a little gas in. And what happens? You make it about 10 feet and you got to fill up again. So I always ask people, I'm like, would you rather be a Honda Civic or a Ferrari? And most people say, oh, I want to be a Honda Civic. And that's not the right answer. You want to be a Ferrari. You want to have a gigantic engine that's burning so much fuel that you have to keep refueling. And so my goal is let's build your engine as big as we can And now you can get away with eating more food and still stay lean, which I like to eat. So for me, (laughs) right. No, I mean, I'm sure you like to eat too. So to have a big engine is a good thing. And the only way to get a big engine is to build more muscle and to remove all those underlying factors on, on, you know, sluggish thyroid or whatever may be slowing things down.
0: Right. Yeah. I want to be a Ferrari.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Um, what are the things you're finding that are holding people back from losing weight, getting more energy, all the things that they've been trying to do for so long by themselves?
1: Um, I would say that the, there's two things. One, well, overall stress. I mean, everybody hears that word stress. You're like, yeah, you know, they think of stress as being emotional stress, you know, like, oh my God, I can't handle life or whatever. And that is stress, but there's so many other buckets that stress could be in So it could be, you know, chemical stress from, from the environment around you. Maybe you're living under power lines and that kind of stress messes you up, or it could be, um, air pollution or water pollution, or it could be that, you know, maybe you're on medications and those meds have a lot of different things in them that are, that are causing, uh, you know, stress to the system. But most of the time it's the wrong kind of workout for that particular person, or it's their Undereating. eating. And I know that sounds crazy because people say, well, if, if I'm under eating, how could I gain weight? And what happens is, is, and this is true for a lot of women. I don't know why, um, not enough protein, you know, like it's, it tends to be a lot of carbohydrates, plant-based stuff. I hear a lot of now. And most of the plant-based eaters that I work with are, are overweight. They're obese because they're eating all this crap that is supposed to mimic like the real thing, like fake hamburgers and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, um, and so they're, they're overeating the wrong things and their body's malnourished. And so then they tend to eat too much. But for the ones that are under eating, they've slowed their metabolism down so much that they'll undereat for three or four days and then they binge. And then they under eat and then they binge. And so when they binge, their their metabolism's so slow that it can't process all that food quickly enough. And it just takes what it can and stores the rest. Um, And then as far as exercise goes, the wrong exercise, what I mean by that is I I can't tell you how many people that have come to me that are really heavy and they say, well, I, I want to do cardio for a few months first to drop some weight, and then I'm going to start strength training and you can't out cardio your diet and you can't out the cardio is not going to make you lean. It doesn't build a bigger engine. It makes your engine smaller. It makes you, uh, it makes you very efficient at burning fuel. And so I'll ask you, have you ever seen a, uh, well, let's put it this way. If you look at all the athletes in the world, any sport, any athlete, who are the most shredded, muscular ripped athletes on the planet?
0: I mean, are we talking about like weightlifters, Olympic, any, any sport. Olympics. Think, Olymp-
1: t- think Olympics, any t- sport. T-
0: tennis? I mean, there's some ripped tennis ladies out there. <laughs> um, mm. Let's see. Wrong answer. Olympic lifting. Um, the most shredded.
1: The most shredded, most muscular men and women. You look at them and go, "Oh my god, look at them!"
0: Football players.
1: Nope. Sprinters.
0: Oh, okay. They're- well, yeah, they're.
1: Right. Yeah. They never do quote cardio. They're Mm. fast. Boom. 10 seconds done. Yeah. And, and so they're the Ferraris. Now, if you look at, if you look at the cardio people, the best cardio athletes in the world, who are they? Like think long distance runners, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What do they look like? Super skinny, (laughs) super skinny and no muscle.
0: Yeah. And like the long distance, uh, bikers too.
1: Yeah. It's they're just sticks and they have no muscle on them. And so I will ask the clients, I'm like, okay, if you're going to go do all that cardio, which, which person do you want to look like? And they want to look like the sprinter, but they want to do the, the, the skinny guys exercise program. And it doesn't work. And if it did, you're looking at world-class athletes. These are the best in the world. That's all they do is train for that sport. They've got their nutrition dialed in. They've got their recovery dialed in and they're, and they're, they're toothpicks. So I always tell my, my clients, if you want to get lean, you've got to eat enough food to build muscle. And you've got to train like a strength, like a, like a strength athlete and do sprint interval training. Like you could do six, 10 second sprints and be done. That only takes you maybe 20 minutes. You do 10 seconds and rest for three, 10 seconds, rest for three. And they're like, well, I'm not doing that much. I'm like, you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to impact that hormonal release, and and you'll end up like a sprinter, and so it works. It works every time. It's hard, but it does work.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the limit there? Like, what if you're doing thirty second to sixty second, like hard core, and then you're resting for two minutes, and then one minute hard, two minutes soft for like ten minutes? Like, is that
1: you mean push, doing like, like 30, running? Well, yeah, like it. Yeah. Let me ask you if, if you were, how long can you go full out? Like if I said, I want you to run as fast as you possibly can, how, how long can you maintain your top level of speed before you start to slow down?
0: Probably not very long.
1: (laughs) About 10 seconds. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's in a trained person. Most people are going to be probably like four seconds and then all they're like, oh my God. So it's the same thing. It's like, go really, really fast, explosive, and then when you start to drop in speed, that's where you just want to stop and rest. Otherwise you start working different energy systems.
0: Okay. What are some of the other, other kinds of exercises? Like what are the most important lifts for people? Cause it sounds like building muscle is, is kind of like where you're at. Obviously you've owned a lot of gyms and all of that kind of stuff. So um, what are the basics that you have somebody do first? Um,
1: well, I like to look at, any exercise program in terms of what are our, our primal movement patterns. So what do we have to be able to do in the real world to function at an optimal level? And you have to be able to squat, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to do a lunge. You know, like if you're going to pick something up off the floor, you're going to kind of lunge down and pick it up and stand. You have to be able to twist. You have to be able to push, pull, and then maybe throw right so and then and then of course walk or run and so i use those movement patterns first so if somebody can't do a squat because of you know whatever kind of mechanical imbalances they might have pain injuries or things like that then we have to correct that and so maybe they're doing single legged squats first and then we integrate a regular squat um but i try to i try to incorporate all of those movement patterns into the lifts so when you look at the gym and you go, well, what mimics a push, right? Most people think bench press, Mm -hmm. but you don't lie down in the real world and press something. You're pushing it while you're on your feet. So a standing cable press or band press would be a really good, you know, example of a push or a one-arm push or a one-arm pull. Anything like if you're dragging something or pulling something, that's a really good exercise. Um, A squat could just be, sitting in a chair and standing up, um, picking something up off the ground, like a deadlift. Uh, if I called a deadlift for a lot of women, they get scared. And they go, I don't want to do deadlifts. I'm like, okay, set your your bag down on the floor and pick it up. And that's a deadlift, right? So now <laughs> instead of their bag, we use a sandbag. And now, now they're lifting weights and they're like, oh, this is cool. Um, throwing stuff, you know, it's I don't know why, but women love to throw medicine balls against the wall and slam them and just throw them into the ground. So things like that, I like. And then all you do is you go, well, all right, now you're squatting. Now you're bending. Now you're pushing and pulling and twisting and doing those things. Um, Now let's just start to add an external load to it. And the load doesn't have to be a barbell on your back, right? Like that can be intimidating for people. They're like, I don't want to do that big, heavy stuff. And so instead of a barbell on your back, maybe we we load up a a sandbag and I tell you to pick it up off the ground and put it on your shoulder. Like you're going to carry your kid around or something, right? Or maybe it's on your side like this. And, you know, if you've got a kid that you're still carrying around, they probably weigh 30 pounds, maybe 35. So if you've got a sandbag and I say, now do a squat and stand back up. That's, that's a good strength exercise. Um, And all of those things, the goal is to build the engine, build a bigger engine right? So if if I have you do an exercise like that with the sandbag, and then I say, all right, do 10, 12 reps with the sandbag where you're picking it up, putting it on your shoulder, setting it back down. And then when you're done with that, I want you to go sprint for 10 seconds and then walk around, recover a little bit, or come back and do something totally different. Um, that tends to work really well for building muscle, especially in women.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I agree with that kind of those kinds of movements. Like you need to be building up what you're going to actually use so that as you age, you age gracefully and you're not, you know, you're still able to get off off the ground if you fall down or something like that, really simple stuff. Now, what about when it comes to the functional lab testing, what are common things that you're finding with your clients that are an issue with losing weight and all of that?
1: Um, Most, I'd say the number one, the number one thing that I see would be um, dysbiosis in their gut, like a lot of really bad bacteria. Leaky gut's a big one that almost every person has, uh, along with gluten sensitivity. And I and I didn't used to be a big fan. Like everyone for for a while, everybody was like, "Don't eat gluten; it's bad for you," and everything is gluten free. And and I kind of laughed because. I agree that gluten's probably not great for most people, but then going out and eating all this fake bread and fake pastries and fake don't, whatever it is, it's as long as they had the gluten-free label on it, people thought it was healthy. And then you look at the ingredients on that and you go, oh my, this is crap. This is like way worse than just eating the real thing. So I do think that most people have a gluten issue which then leads to that leaky gut problem and when they re, when they re, when they eliminate that um that in dairy tends to be another one that's pretty reactive when they eliminate those foods and we can start to heal the gut they start to absorb their nutrients and they start to um balance out all of the nutrient levels that they may have been deficient in and now once they're getting the vitamins and minerals that they need they're they're not overeating anymore you know and and what I, a simple way to explain it is that if, if your body is an assembly line and all of these vitamins and minerals are coming down and, and your body's picking what it needs and, and when it gets what it wants, it says, I'm full, I don't need anymore, right? But if everything going down the assembly line is missing vitamins and minerals that your body wants and needs and you're eating them, it just keeps searching, keep eating, keep, I know it's out there, keep going, keep going. And all you're getting now is calories without the nutrition. And if somebody has leaky gut, they could be eating very dense, nutrient dense foods and still not absorbing what they need. And in a situation like that, the way I explain it is if I made a really, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of juicing and all that stuff, but it's a good example. If I took uh, the best, most nutrient dense vegetables on the planet and I blended them up into a blender, And, and you knew that everything you needed for the day was in that drink. And I said, all right, I want you to drink this. You're going to pour it in your mouth. But before we do that, I'm going to put saran wrap on your mouth. So when you pour it, it just doesn't go in. That's basically what happens with the leaky gut is that, you know, all those little villi, they can't absorb anything because they're, they're covered with saran wrap, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, And that usually makes sense to people are like, wow, I don't want to, I don't want to try to pour something in if it can't get in there. So you fix the leaky gut. Now they absorb the nutrients and, and that tends to get everything running smoothly again.
0: Right. What other things do you have them do to fix leaky gut besides removing some of the foods that are more inflammatory?
1: Um, normally, you know, you have to remove the, the, uh, the offending foods and all of that, but then you've, I, I like to use a, a, uh, protocol to heal the lining of the gut. So just some different supplements you can put in there that will help, you know, heal that membrane and uh and restore function. A lot of times people need help with digestion. They might need digestive enzymes. Um and then other times I, I've seen uh some like H. pylori and things like that that tend to blow holes in the lining, and that has to be eradicated first. So maybe they go through like an anti uh, bacteria, um, bug killing protocol, if you will, Um, kill it off, remove the offenders and then start to put the nutrients in that are going to heal the gut. Um, And then give them the nutrients they need. It takes a while. It's not like, you know, we're going to do this and three days later, you're, you're back to normal. Sometimes it, it can take, you know, up to a year, depending on how bad somebody is.
0: Yeah. And what about with like the weight loss portion? Um, How long does it normally take for your clients to see the results they want? Because I think everybody's always looking for this quick thing and they want to lose weight so fast. And I don't think that that's sustainable for some people, but
1: it's not. No, I can tell you this, that back, let's see, in 2018 um, at at my gym, we started running. It was a great marketing ploy to get people in the gym. um, Six week challenges. And the six week challenges were built on, um, you come into the gym and in six weeks, we're going to see how much weight you can lose. And we figured out that we could game the system so that if, because people love to gamble on themselves, right? So we would say, if you come in and you lose 4% of your body fat or 20 pounds, whichever one of those was first in six weeks, then the challenge was free. Like you just got six weeks for free, um, but you have to pay for it up front. So you're paying $900 up front and then you're going to bust your butt and do everything we ask you to do. You've got to show up three times a week. You've got to follow our nutrition plan. And and if you do it, then you're going to get the results. If you don't do it, then you don't get the results and we keep your money. (laughs) Right. Um, and I saw people that were dropping cheese anywhere from nine to like, I had one guy, he lost 38 pounds and it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't, it wasn't a healthy thing for them because they didn't really learn how to eat. Um, We thought that we could teach them how to eat. And what we realized is that they didn't care about that. They just wanted to beat the, the, the bet that they put on themselves. And so I found that I thought what I thought was going to be a good idea to get people in the door, get them some progress, and then we're going to keep them long term and really teach them how to do it the right way over time didn't work. Um, So now I I tell folks, you know, at, at a maximum, if you can lose a pound and a half a week, maybe two pounds, that's going to be a lot more sustainable in the long run. But unfortunately, that's not what people want to hear. And so my answer, if you were a client would be, you know, I'm really not sure how much you're going to lose, but I can promise you, you're going to reach your goal. And that way I'm not putting a number in their head because if I tell them a pound and a half a week and they're going to do math, they're going to go, geez, that's, they forget the half pound. They're going to go, that's only four pounds a month. I want to lose 40 pounds. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go do this guy's program instead. That's what we're, that's what we are up against as is healthcare practitioners is we know that it's going to take a lot longer than what what uh, most people want. And we are up against that machine that's out there, which is quick fix, whether it's supplements, take a magic pill. That's why the, that's why the diet book industry is so big. I mean, every day a new diet comes out and they all promise the same thing. You're going to lose weight, right? But that doesn't mean that's a good diet. It's just now, oh, look, a new thing. I'm going to go try that. And so it's really hard. It's frustrating for me to try to educate people and do it the right way when you're getting blasted by, you know, probably if you just went out your door, you could probably hit 40 places that are doing it the other way. And they're taking those clients from you. So it's 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 uh, it's a battle for sure. But that's a long winded answer to how much weight can they lose, but a pound and a half to two pounds is probably about the max.
0: Okay. No, I, I understand too. Um, people think I work with people with autoimmune diseases and they're like, how long is it going to take? And I'm like, you got to work with me for at least six months at least. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: yeah.
0: they you're kind of just like, Oh wow, that's a long time. But That's, you know, this is more so reality, right? Six months, a year, like this stuff doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. And if it is someone who's telling you that you're going to magically have all these results in a few weeks or, you know, drop 30 pounds in six weeks, that sounds so nice, but it's probably not real or it's like gimmicky or there's something you're not going to learn and really know how to properly treat and nourish your body, like for a sustainable- Way right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's I I tell people if you're hearing that, it's bullshit. And and I tell them (laughs) flat out, I'm like, it it's it's not true. It's not gonna work. And come back and see me after you've done all those things, right? Like you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And and later might be you might go six months, you might go a year, you might try, you know, three or four different plans like that. But a year from now, when it's not working, you could have worked with me. And six months later, you would have been where you wanted to be. Right. So that's why I, I most of the people I work with tend to be the ones that have tried everything. They've done all of that other stuff and they have no other place to go and they know nothing else is working. And then they'll finally go, all right, I'm, I'm ready to listen. Because if you get them on the front end of that and they haven't done all that stuff yet, they're probably not going to be successful in your program because they get they get frustrated and they want that quick fix.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, that's her society today.
1: It's, it's sad <sighs> unless they're in pain, if they're in pain and you can, and you can alleviate some of their pain right away. Now you've got them. Right. Cause they don't want to go back to that place with pain and they'll do whatever they can to stay out of that area. So if you can figure out what that pain is and, and then, give them some, you know, some relief pretty quickly, then I think you could keep them.
0: Right. Right. Do you, how do you keep your clients motivated?
1: Well, that seems to be a, I'm hearing that a lot right now. I'm just not motivated. I'm not motivated. And, and I tell them it's not my job to motivate you. Like motivation's cheap, right? Some days I'm motivated and some days I'm not, but I know that if I want to get from point A to to point B, I have to just keep taking steps, right? And if I stop, I quit getting to that other place I want to go. And that's okay, right? I can take a break, I can stop. But then I'm, on my journey, I'm, I'm just stuck. And I'm, I'm kind of stranded here. Um, and so I tell them that they have to figure out what their why is. Like, why do you want to lose weight? Why do you want to get rid of your skin issues? Why do you want to get, uh, you know, whatever symptom they have? Why do you want to get rid of that? Like, what's your why? What's your driver? And if they say, well, I just want to look better. Why? Well, because my clothes don't fit and I want my clothes to fit better. Why? I keep peeling the onion until they Mm -hmm. cry. Once they cry, that's their real why. And, and, And here's an example. I had a woman come in and, and she said, I want to lose weight. I just don't feel good. I said, OK, why do you want to lose weight? And she said, well, because uh, my sister's thin. I said, OK, well, why, why does that affect you? Like, what's the problem with that? Who cares what your sister looks like? And she says, well, I think I'll just be, have more confidence. And I said, all right. And finally, after about 15 minutes, she starts crying. And this made me cry. She's like, my husband thinks I'm disgusting and he won't touch me. Mm. She goes, that's why I want to lose weight. And she's bawling. And I'm like, holy crap, what a (sighs) dick. And so I said, you know what? That's your why. So here's what we're going to do. Every single time this gets hard and every single time you think it's not working and you want to give up, I want you to think about that. Because that's going to give you the motivation to keep going. And if you don't have a why that that literally makes you feel like that, then it's not going to be successful, you know, Mm. because you don't care enough. Yeah. So typically when I'm working with people, if they don't have a why, I won't work with them because I know because then I become just another statistic than people they've done things with. Right. And I don't want to be that
0: man, I hope she's not with that guy anymore. (laughs) I mean, um, yeah, my goodness. But yeah, I agree. You have to have something that's going to push you in in some sort of way to keep going forward. Um, kind of want to switch tracks a little bit. Have you ever had any, so like besides when you were a child, like that very first time when someone was like, oh my gosh, you're fat. Um, which had to be so tough as a kid to like hear that. But now have you had any personal health struggles and how has doing the functional lab testing and things like that helped you?
1: Yeah. So, um, part of my story is, and this is where stress comes in. And I, and I, I tell people that, you know, as you're doing interviews with potential clients and they're telling you about, you know, all of their symptoms and their issues, um, if you just let them tell you their story, stuff comes out that you can go, ah, boom, that is a huge deal that could have set you on this path that, you know, this downward spiral and it's, and it's stress. And, uh, I had a, a woman I was talking to just a little while ago who started out. She said, I feel great. I'm really healthy. I don't really have any issues. I just want to be even healthier. And as we talked after about 45 minutes, she tells me about the nasty divorce she went through. Seven years ago, how it wrecked her life, and and she had to be put on all these different uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. And her skin was she was getting rashes and fever blisters and all this stuff. So we went from I'm really healthy, I don't really have any issues. I just want to get healthier. Her main complaint was she couldn't build muscle, she couldn't get muscle tone, and it led all the way into all of that nastiness that went on in her life, that was like a huge stressor that started the whole cascade of her hormones and everything getting thrown out of balance and ended up with now she's 52 and she can't get muscle tone because her hormones are so out of whack, but she never, she never tied it into that stressor from seven years ago. So for me, um, back in uh, 2010, I was in the best shape of my life. Living the dream had everything I could possibly want. Um, rocking business, rocking health, rocking everything. And my little boy drowned at six. Mm. And literally, I went from being in the best shape of my life to my life fell apart. And I gained 75 pounds in like six months, just and no matter how hard I worked out, no matter what I did, I could not keep the weight from, from coming on. And I didn't really understand what was going on at the time. And, uh, and so that kind of set me on the path of really diving deeper with labs and realized that any kind of a traumatic event like that can have an immediate impact where your body in a, in a woman, it would be, you know, your, your hormones and everything are in check. And then boom, you lose a child and you're now you're in menopause instant, just boom, like overnight, And so that kind of happened to me and it made me realize that, you know, that was a huge stressor that, that would probably wipe out anybody, but everybody has a lot of stress going on in their life that can have the same impact. It's just their stress looks different than mine did, but it's just as stressful to them. And so that really opened my eyes to how stress can impact your hormones, your digestion, um, weight loss, you know, you, you name it, anything to do with your health, it can really throw it out of balance. And what I did is initially I went from doctor to doctor trying to figure out like what's going on. And none of them had an answer for me because they're looking at my labs, traditional labs going, everything looks normal here. Take, take Prozac here, take, uh, you know, whatever the drug was. I was on, at one point I was taking sleeping pills. I was taking, uh, uh, Anti-anxiety meds, and I was taking antidepressants all at the same time. And finally, uh, I realized when I did some deeper dives that I had a lot of issues that were from the stress that I could re- that I could fix, you know, with nutrition and the right supplement protocols. And I finally got off all that crap. And um, the long-standing result of that was uh, a pretty big hormonal imbalance that led to thyroid issues. And so I still battle that one to this day. And you've probably seen some of my posts where I'm still trying to figure out what works best for me in terms of how much thyroid hormone do I need? And then what's blocking the thyroid hormone from actually being able to work. And it's funny because I still learn stuff every day about why it's not functioning at the level I want it to. Um, and so if, if I feel that way, And this is what I do for a living. And I'm constantly in it and learning and studying it. Imagine what somebody who has no background in this stuff is going through where they're relying on the traditional medical system and they go in and they know something's wrong. And they're like, oh, your thyroid hormones look okay. Just keep taking your Synthroid. (laughs) It's, and then at 50 years old, they throw their hands in the air and they give up. Like that's just their life. And so my, my goal is to help them navigate through that no matter how stressful it seems to be. And, and at least peel the onion back and kind of give them some, some hope that they can get better. And I think they can. Um, but yeah, that was a big part of my life that really threw my health off because other than that, I mean, I've always eaten really healthy. I've always taken care of myself. So there, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I don't do any of that, but that one big event, man, that really messed up Like I could see it in my labs. Everything was a mess.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, And that's definitely a common story with like having some sort of, you know, those major events that send us all into some sort of health spiral. But yeah, the the thyroid is very tricky. And it's, it is funny that some people just keep taking their medications. It's like, we got to figure out there's always more going on with the thyroid um whether it's the gut or the liver or stress or whatever it is. And how do you do you have any ways to <clears throat> help people through stress like <clears throat> excuse me in addition to the nutrition and the exercise?
1: You know, one of the one of the things that helped me the most is when I when I after Austin died, I was like, you know, I got really angry. Um, and I was going to a therapist and she said, I want you to hit a bag every day, just start punching a bag. And so I did that and I didn't do it for exercise. I did it to get just to release some of that stress. And that really helped me. So I tell people that if you can punch something or throw something at a wall or hit something with a hammer, like just get that energy out, that tends to help. And then the other side of it is, while I'm doing all that, being all aggressive and beating the crap out of something, I'm listening to Brene Brown. Do you know who that is? Yes. yes. <laughs> <clears throat> right? Like, guys, don't, don't beat me up over this. But I was listening to uh, something that she had out there. And she's like, you know, one of the best things you can do is to journal. And I've always journaled. But her journaling wasn't writing. It was drawing. Like, draw your daily stuff. And so I literally, I got a, I got a book out and uh, a a drawing book. And I started just like chicken scratch and stuff together. And the next thing I knew it turned into, I've got, I don't think you can, I don't have any in here. I don't think like it turned into um, these Sharpie drawings, like stuff like this. Can you see this?
0: Oh, wow. You did that.
1: I did it with a a Sharpie marker.
0: That's so cool.
1: And I have over 50 of these, like I've done a ton of them. And so when I'm drawing stuff like this, um, it shuts my brain off. Like literally it just, uh, I don't think about anything else. And so those are the only two times that when I'm punching a bag, it gets the energy out. But when I'm doing the drawing, it just, it shuts my brain off. Mm -hmm. to where I'm not thinking of anything else. And that's enough time for, you know, to just kind of recoup and regenerate. Yeah. So I always tell people, try it. I've never been trained in art. I didn't grow up doing it. It just came out of me and I didn't do it to, you know, for any other reason than just to try to calm my brain down a little bit.
0: Yeah. For anybody listening, Steve held up a picture. That's like a huge picture of beautiful colors. And um, I couldn't really tell exactly what it was, but it looked really nice. And that's, I love that you say that you're not an artist because I think that's what holds a lot of people back from doing, or I'm not an artist. I'm not a writer. I can't journal. I can't paint. I can't. Yes, you can. I mean, we all did it when we were kids and then we just got older and we forgot how good it felt to express ourselves and to let the rest of life kind of slip away and just focus in on something simple and fun.
1: Right. Yeah. So, we, we, I don't know what it is. We hit a certain age and we think, oh, now we have to be adults. Yeah. Right. And I've never, I never hit that point. I'm I am I my wife says I'm like a 12 year old. But <laughs> I uh yeah, I just I think we need to be more childlike. And because kids don't really, I mean, yeah, they have stress, but they're they're always playing, they're doing something. I've got a note on my on my computer that's that literally it says, um, fun first, have fun, laugh. Like that's my deal. Like if you're not doing that, I don't really care what else you do. You're, you're going to suffer. Your health is going to deteriorate. I think laughing is probably, I don't know why it's, there's gotta be a study on it somewhere, but it's gotta be the best medicine there is.
0: There are studies on it. Yeah.
1: Like, there's- yeah. I mean, there has to be like something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. We're driving down the road the other day, and I've got two twins. I've got a little boy and a little girl. They're in the back seat, and I've got this big adventure van. It's like this huge off-road camper van thing, and they're in the back. And my wife's sitting here, and I, my little boy told a joke, and it was really dumb. <laughs> right? It was like, and and I kind of fake laughed, and then my little girl fake laughed, And then I fake laughed again. And I just started like really overdoing it like, ha, 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 and then they start. And the <laughs> next thing, you know, all of us are laughing, like really belly laughing so hard that we had tears in our eyes. And after that, I'm like, we should do that every day. Ah, Like you could make it happen. You can just start laughing. And then all of a sudden you're laughing, like out of control laughing, and you don't even know why you're laughing. Mm-hmm. but it just releases I don't know what it does to us. It releases something that makes you feel good.
0: It does so much. And, um, <laughs> you know, another thing too is it It probably stimulates the vagus nerve a little bit too. And yeah. even That's gets okay. you, yeah, it gets you into that more like relaxed state. Yeah. Um, Oh, <laughs> I love that story. Just like laughing is contagious for sure. I think this is a good place to kind of wrap up as we're getting low on time here. Um, I always like to ask if you could leave the listeners with one action that they could take this week to help them live a healthier, happier life, what would it be?
1: Hmm. Wow. I would say, especially today with everybody being isolated and locked down in their homes and kind of not getting out anymore, get out and move, like get outside and move your body. Just get under the sun, let the sun hit you and just walk. Like, even if it's, if you have to park away from wherever you're going, just walk and move and get more steps in. Um, That goes a long way, you know? And of course, all the stuff we do with all the lab testing, everything is great, but you know, not everybody's at that place right now, but I would say just move your body and walk and get off your phones, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, like put that stuff away. And if you're going to use your phone all day and be on your computer, get blue light glasses, something that blocks the the damaging lights. Yes. So yeah, that's it.
0: Good points. Yeah. I like to do my morning walk and turn. I turn my phone on airplane mode when I go to sleep and leave it on airplane mode until after my morning walk. So it's like total separation and getting that movement, that sunlight in, in the morning. Um, really great tip. Well, thank you so much for chatting today. Um, You can share any, if you want to share anything else that we missed really quickly um, or just where people can find you and reach out if they want to work with you or if they have questions about anything.
1: Yeah, I always, I have no problem with people reaching out to me on my cell phone. And that number is 314-265-3503. And I tell folks, if you're interested in working with me or you have questions or whatever it might be, maybe you just need help being pointed in the right direction, shoot me a text. I answer all my own messages. Um, You can also find me online and uh, I'm sure you'll put that in the notes somewhere.
0: Yes. Everything will be in the show notes.
1: Cool. Okay. Yeah. It's been fun. This was good.
0: Yes. It was such a good talk. Thank you, Steve. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation between Steve and I, and if you did learn something, I challenge you to implement it into your life this week. And if you find benefit in it, send me a message on Instagram at natural health rising to share what worked for you. And you can find the information to contact Steve in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment rating or share it with a friend who needs to hear this information. That way we can reach more people and help them live a healthier life. Thanks for listening and keep striving to become your healthiest, happiest self.